dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. Today, leadership requires courage. In times like ours, it's easier just to stop rather than to keep going. But what's the secret to courage? In the lives of the saints, we find many examples of courageous leadership. But in the life of St. Stanislaus, Bishop of Krakow, there's a special lesson that speaks to each one of us. The strength of consistent integrity. Hi, everybody. Thanks so much for being here. We're reflecting again on the amazing secrets that the Catholic saints show to us about leadership. And I know this is unique, right? Because we're saying to ourselves, look, I come from the world of business, right? My job is to get things done. I am, you know, an executive, which means by golly, George, I execute, right? I, I, I have to move the ball forward. I don't have time to talk about spirituality. And that's what saints are anyway, right? They're these great spirituals. And so if I wanted to talk about spirituality, maybe I would go to Hallmark or something and watch some sort of movie about spirituality. But I've got stuff to do. It's amazing how many times I, I run across that attitude. And especially even from Catholic leaders, there's that attitude. And why? I think because a lot of us, when it comes to gaining a, a deeper insight into leadership, we end up turning towards secular models to gain and learn what it means to lead. And the secular models, well, they're all about an unbridled efficiency or they're about, a, 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 they, they judge themselves in a way different than we need to judge ourselves. It's not that Catholic leadership doesn't have anything to do with secular leadership. No, all leadership has in common the same basis, the same roots. It's that Catholic leadership needs to take a step further. It can deepen what we learn in secular models without changing it. After all, what goes on in the secular world, the secular realms of leadership is just fine. It's just that we're called to take a step further. And that's where a lot of us can actually benefit from turning to the lives of the saints. It's not some sort of distraction from you getting things done. Uh, on the contrary, this study will help you get things done even better because these men and these women whose lives we're studying, these are people who got things done. And I mean, look at Mother Teresa of Calcutta. We looked at her life not long ago. And look at, do you realize when she went, at the time of her death, her order had 4,000 women involved. She was, you know, a hundred different convents. They were stretched all over an international organization that she founded and ran. This little nun who walked around talking about love all the time. Junipero Serra, who walked 24,000 miles in the last 15 years of his life. Just think about that. That's crossing, it's a matter of going around the globe. That's the circumference of the entire, he literally walked around the world 
for Jesus Christ. And he, as he founded nine different missions, which each of which became a city. Again, like these are pretty heroic people. These are, these are pretty great examples. You don't think that they had to get things done? Of course they had to get things done. But they got things done with a style and a grace well, that we all can learn from. And they demonstrate a type of grit and a, a grittiness to innovation that, you know, it, you'd be challenged to come up with in the secular environment. Of course, there are wonderful examples there too. And we'll study those as well. It's not an either or proposition. But what I did want to point out to you is this very simple message, this whole series we're doing on the courageous leadership of the saints. It's that I want to show you that the saints typify courageous leadership. Not that it's an ex exclusive to them, as if you can't be creative or, or a courageous leader if you're not a saint. No. But it is to show us in the lives of these men and women who are the stars of spirituality and holiness that they in fact also embody a lesson that we who are in, you know, engaged in the great struggles of our businesses and of our leadership in the secular world and our families, that these real practical issues can actually find their inspiration even in the lives of these great spirituals. I would even say in addition, especially in the lives of these great spirituals. But that's of course just my own opinion here. So if we take a step, you know, into this, let's, let's begin with a prayer. We're going to talk about an incredible man, St. Stanislaus. And I just, I can't wait to get into it with you, but I want to make sure we pray first. Ask the Holy Spirit to inspire us. In the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear God, as we begin this life of St. Stanislaus, your son, bishop, and martyr, we ask that you give you, us your Holy Spirit to stir up in our own lives the same sentiments of faith and devotion that animated his. May we love you like he did and follow you like he did by the, your grace and the gift of your spirit. Amen. St. Stanislaus of Krakow, pray for us. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So I know what a lot of you are thinking. You're saying to yourself, why in the world are we looking at the life of St. Stanislaus of Krakow? Like, I had no idea who this guy was and what in the world is he going to teach me? I mean, he died in the year 1079, right? So, and he was canonized in 1253. That's a long time ago. I don't think many of us remember that. And most of us consider the things that happened in those days to be kind of irrelevant, you know? And, and yet I remember the first time I encountered his life. It was when I had led a pilgrimage with Eagle Eye Ministries, which is my, the, the outreach of the St. John Institute to young adults. And we led a pilgrimage to Krakow, Poland, in order to thank John Paul II for his inspiration in helping me found the ministry. And when I got to say Mass at the altar where Pope John Paul II used to say Mass when he was the Bishop of Krakow, and I, I found myself looking up at a, a silver coffin, all beautiful. It was like a made of silver. And, it, you know, it showed a, a bishop laying on top of it with his crozier. And I remember, like, looking at that and saying, you know, who is this? And they said, well, this is, of course, the body of St. Stanislaus, the first saint of Poland. And I realized I, had, I didn't know who he was. 
Here he turned out to be a bishop who gave his life in defense for the rights of the poor. And I was standing there saying mass, of course, in the same spot where Pope John Paul II, who would defend the poor of the world in so many ways, especially, of course, the unborn and the rights of the family and, and, the, and the rights of human individuals in front of communism. And it started to make sense. I said, my goodness, what, what the Pope did in bringing down communism was actually a direct legacy of the spiritual heritage that this man, Stanislaus, began. The first bishop of Krakow, Poland, who fought against the corruption of his time would have inspired Pope John Paul II to fight against corruption in our day. And then I was standing there saying, and what will become of you, Father Nathan? You know, what, what will you do with the great legacy of the gospel in front of the evils of our day? And I was challenged by it. And I started to think, my goodness, this saint, who is he? And so I looked into his life and what I found was absolutely amazing. This, he had a strength of leadership that came directly from the strength of his character. Father Nathan is producing an ongoing source of videos to form, unite, and inspire you and your family. Go to eagleeyeministries.org. That's E-A-G-L-E-E-Y-E ministries.org. And subscribe to Eagle Eye Pro. Subscribe today. You know, when we talk about courage, I think a lot of us have different thoughts in our head about what it looks like. Most of the examples of courage come to us from battle, as they should, right? I mean, because courage is not about not having fear. Courage about, is about acting greatly in the presence of fear. <laughs> it's, if we wait to not have fear, you guys, like, I mean, like, we're going to wait to no longer become human. Right? There's no longer be human. It's part and part. If you're in the presence of something evil, fear is the natural response. And it's a healthy response. Something that could hurt you, something that is a threat, something that is not good, provokes fear in the person in whose presence they are. If the, fear, if the, if the evil thing is far away, it, pro it produces dread. If the evil thing is unknown but near, it produces anxiety. And if the thing is in front of you, it produces fright, right? So this is like the response of the human being to these things. Absolutely nothing wrong with it. It's just that the, what courage does is courage says, not that I don't have that fear anymore, but in the presence of that fear, I'm going to act correctly. <laughs> That's courage. And so battle becomes one of the spots where we, we see courage or or the great, you know, risks that were taken by the people of the frontier, you know, when they came across the country. And, or, or we think of the courage of, that, that, we, that takes every day when we, we put on our clothes and we head into the workplace to do something again. Courage is an action in front of what is difficult or fearful. And, and yet, I don't think a lot of us really understand what's at the heart of it. Because if I could put into a bottle what it is that defines courage or what it is that makes someone do that. I mean, gosh, you could imagine what you could do. Everybody would want that. Everybody would want to know that secret sauce. 
What, what is it? And it's, it's neat because some courageous people, they come out, you know, yelling and screaming and swinging a sword. <laughs> I'm thinking of, for example, this is kind of a random example. On the island, island of Iona in Scotland, on the Outer Hebrides, I took a pilgrimage with Eagle Eye Ministries to, to, to that island. It's a small little place where 57 Scottish kings are buried. And it's, it's a tiny island. I mean, the whole circumference of the thing is probably like five miles. And, and, yet, and yet there, there was a, a monastery that was legendary because it was gilded all with gold and it was the bones of St. Columban. St. Columban that had come from Ireland as a missionary monk and first brought the gospel to Scotland, first set foot there on the shores of Iona. And the, the Vikings would come because they had so much, you know, uh, finery around the bones of St. Columban and they would sack the, the monastery, which is, of course, a pretty unpleasant event because it consist, consist, you know, consisted in killing all of the monks. So you have, of course, the Bay of Martyrs. But they said that they had, at that time, the Vikings would come and the, the monks would defend the bones of St. Columban even with the sword. And so you have an image of one of the abbots who's actually comes down to fight off the Vikings wielding a sword. You could say, these, these are strange days. And I agreed, strange days, far from our own. I'd say, well, that is an example of courage. But then I also think of the courage of Mother Teresa, who didn't wield the sword. Or I think of the courage of grandmothers who stand at the beds of those of their dying spouse. And, and as they do it, they hold themselves with such dignity, you know, even, even dressing up. You know, uh, always taking care of their decorum. Uh, you see the dignity of parents struggling with children with disabilities and who day after day do not fail in their duty of love and dedication, even in the midst of terrific trial, right? Courage takes many different forms. It's the teacher who doesn't think that they teach real well. They, you know, there's... It's easy for everybody to criticize teachers, but when you're one and you're saying to yourself, I'm not even that great of a teacher. Well, what an incredible amount of courage to get up there every day and to continue to strive and to continue to do it. You see the, the fear or the evil that's out there and that can come towards us and produce these fear in this many ways. It speaks to each one of us in our individuality, which means each one of us needs to be able to respond by that courage, but it's going to look different. It's going to look like one thing if you're a soldier. It's going to look like another thing if you're a mother. It's going to look like another thing if you're a single person who every day has a broken heart as you sit, wait for your spouse, wanting a spouse, and yet no spouse comes. What does courage look like in that situation? It doesn't look like a sword being wielded. It looks like fidelity to your prayer and fidelity to what good you can do that day, even though it's not the good that you would rather be doing. Just as we can be afflicted in many ways, our courage can take many shapes. And that's why I love looking at this particular saint, Saint Stanislaus, because in his example of courage, Saint Stanislaus didn't ever wield a sword. As a matter of fact, he was put to death by the sword. <laughs> So he, you can't even say he had the courage to stand and fight. No, he, he didn't fight. He stood and was struck down. <laughs> and, and yet there you have a greater courage than the, 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 the seeming strength or the fury of the hand 
that struck him down. And I'd like to get at the heart of that courage. And when, I, when, I, when we look at his life, I think we see it traced out a, a different pattern, one that's really beautiful. He was born just outside of Krakow, uh, and he is the only son to a noble family, right? So he was born in you know, a certain amount of wealth. And I love to underline that again because we definitely have a, a deep respect for the poor, but at the same time, a lot of times we miss the respect for those who aren't poor. And great saints can be born there as well. It's all a question of what you do with it. He was actually favored by his parents. He was given a great education. He went to the cathedral school and at the time, the capital city of Poland. And then they sent him all the way to Paris from Poland, all the way to Paris to get his studies. So he would have been well-versed, an international man. He would have known all of the different, you know, uh, culture of his day, spoke Latin. He would have spoke the, the, the language in Paris at the time. He spoke Polish. And then he came back and he was ordained a priest and, you know, and, and served with incredible renown uh, and generosity. And here, I think, is the first trait of his holiness and his courage. He lived in integrity, in alignment with the greatness of his parents. He put that greatness that he was given at the service of the gospel. They say that when he became a priest, he gave away his inheritance to the poor and was named the pastor of a local church and then an archdeacon at the cathedral and the preacher at the cathedral because he was so eloquent. So he was well-educated, well-endowed, and he used both of those things to advance the highest of causes. He shows an alignment of the greatness of this earth with the greatness of the gospel. And he served the greatness of the gospel by the greatness of this earth. That's the first step for his courage. You see, when you are aligned and when your actions flow from your character, and when your convictions form the basis of your decisions, when, when you have that integrity of, say, of identity, right? Who I am, I was made to be noble. Christ called me to be noble for his sake. And so I who am noble am now noble for Christ. You have a strength there that enables you to stand firm in the fierce winds that blow in life. Father Nathan has founded the St. John Institute, the MBA program that develops students into the leaders of tomorrow by giving them a missionary's heart and an entrepreneur's mind. Visit our website at stjohninstitute.org. Dare great things for Christ. You know, though, for all of the blessings of the life of St. Stanislaus, it was not an easy life. Uh, he, he, was, he was named, of course, an archdeacon. He was the, the main preacher at the cathedral for the Bishop Lambert, who was the bishop before him. He was very well educated. He was respected. He, they said there's all kinds of stories of the, his charity to the poor and, and his goodness. And yet at age 42, at the, the, the bishop died, and he was elected to be the new bishop of Krakow, Poland. Now, Poland had only existed as a Christian country for 100 years at that point. It was a mission territory in many ways. And being elected at age 42, I mean, the, 
How, how is he to, to step up into that? It actually took a direct command from the Pope at the time that he accept this election for him to step into it. And for four years, he, he ruled with great charity. They said that from his house, his bishop's house, he would feed the poor. He would use the different blessings of his status in order to help, you know, widows and orphans. There's all kinds of stories. There's not a lot of, of really reliable historical record, but there's a trace of incredible eloquence, incredible preaching. I mean, it's, it just sounds like he had a noble life, which you, on one, one hand you'd say, okay, well, that's fine. But do you see, that actually becomes his backbone. I think this is very important because there's kind of a depiction in our minds for a lot of us that the great saints are people of kind of a, of a wild nature in a sense that, that did extraordinary things. Stanislaus didn't do anything extraordinary. He did the ordinary things in an extraordinary way. He just did his job. He didn't ride off in conquest to some, you know, foreign place. He didn't, you know, go and he just did his job. But he did it with the passion of someone who knew that there in that focus of what he was given lay his opportunity to glorify God in the highest of ways. And so he seized the opportunity that was in front of him and he did just that. And there's a, a second great lesson for us. The first lesson to his courage is his alignment of his character. And the second great lesson is the simplicity of his focus. He didn't strive to do things that he did, wasn't asked to do, but he did strive to do everything that was in front of him well. And that's exactly what got him into trouble. <laughs> because after only four years, the guy's 46 years old, after only four years of being bishop, he started to run afoul of the king. Uh, and this is neat, right? Because you have the bishop who obviously has the authority of Christ. And then you have the king who has the authority of the land. Um, Balaslaus the Bold. And that, that this, that's his name. And Balaslaus the Bold, bold he, he was a, a tempestuous sort. He would vacillate back and forth. He didn't have that inner alignment. There's all kinds of stories of, of his uh, struggle with lust and his struggle with violence and the way that he would treat his soldiers badly. It appears that at one point he would send his soldiers, these men of the area, off, you know, into a, a foreign war far away. And then his nobles and even Balaslas himself would take advantage of the soldiers' wives who they'd left at home. And the soldiers coming back, of course, would find their lands sometimes pillaged, stolen from them, even though they belonged to them, their business deals disrupted, their family life in shambles. And they were stuck because on the one hand, they had to serve the king. And on the other hand, the king himself was being corrupt in the presence of this. And so, you know, there's a story, for example, of, of the corruption of the king one time where he said that he had bought a, a piece of land that belonged to him, even though it didn't. And it, it was actually the bishop at, at the time, the bishop, our dear St. Stanislaus, who had bought that land. And the bishop and the king claimed it for himself. And so there's a story, and obviously it seems legendary, where, where St. Stanislaus went and dug up the grave of the man he had bought the land from, summoned the man to stand up and bear witness, and took the man, even though it had been buried for three years, into court in front of the king to testify that, in fact, 
it was the bishop, St. Stanislaus, who had paid for the land, not the king. <laughs> so obviously this seems rather legendary, but it worked in any case because the king seated his case and then evidently lived a, a decent life, but it didn't last long. And in, in the end, after a series of corrections, the king refused to change his ways. So what are you to do? You're the bishop. You have a king who has might over the whole realm. He refuses to live in accord with Christ. Well, St. Stanislaus, after warning him several times, excommunicated him. <laughs> and he knew that this would be his undoing. Because at the same time, he told the canons, those are the priests who live at the cathedral and perform the prayers at the cathedral, he told them all to stay home for fear that the king would come and at the time then, of course, perhaps do violence to them. And what did Stanislaus do? He kept to his course, true courage. He went and was saying mass like normal. And it was on that day there in the, the chapel of St. Michael the Archangel in Skalka, where just outside of the city walls, St. Stanislaus, the Bishop of Poland, was saying mass. And the king entered the church, commanded his soldiers like a coward to strike down the bishop during mass. And the soldiers refused. According to one recount, account, three different groups were sent in and each one came out saying that they saw a light from heaven on the bishop and they were afraid to do it. And so King Balaslas walked in and struck him down himself by his own hand with a sword. The skull of St. Stanislaus in the cathedral in, in Krakow to this day is a skull that when they examined it, it has marked on it the markings of a sword that struck him right in the head. And I think of the courage of that priest who stood there hearing the soldiers come in, hearing their whispers, knowing what was happening, hearing the clinking of their armor, hearing the, the strong, bold steps of the king coming up behind him, and who continued to face the crucifix and say his mass. And he was struck down. But his courageous witness stands to this day as an example of what it means to lead. Leadership doesn't have to be victorious in the eyes of this world, and it certainly doesn't have to convince all the kings of the earth to bow in front of it. The, the victory of the courageous leader comes in not changing their convictions in the presence of hostility and those who would have them change character for utility. He chose to have death in freedom and death in integrity rather than life in hypocrisy. And he stood for the rights of the poor even unto death. This is courage. Courage that comes from conviction, from belief, and from truth. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at info at stjohninstitute.org. That's info at stjohninstitute.org. And don't forget to subscribe to premium video content to form, unite, and inspire you at Eagle Eye Pro on our website, eagleeyeministries.org. That's eagleeyeministries.org.